12 baskets full of food fragments. That's all that was left. But that was more than what they started with. A little boy had five barley loaves and two fish. But it was hardly enough to feed 5,000 men and their families. Or was it? Have you ever faced an impossible situation? Maybe you're in an impossible marriage and you wonder whether it will last. Do you have an impossible teenager living in your home? Some couples spell the word impossible, I-N-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y. Jesus is in the business of turning impossibilities into possibilities. If you have any doubts about that, just ask a little boy who gave his lunch away. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian Davis. Thanks for dropping in. Today we come to the fourth of eight miracles performed by Jesus in the Gospel of John. As you follow along, pay special attention to all that was going on before the miracle took place. This was an especially difficult day for Jesus, but he never let his personal circumstances interfere with his compassion for others. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Belief, the Miracles of Jesus, and the Gospel of John, Chapter 6, here's Ron with his Something Good Radio message, The Lunch Miracle. Well, today I want to talk to you about how to face an impossible situation. I want to take God's Word and show you how your impossibilities can become possibilities through uh, the power of a miracle-working God. You know, um, many things that people once thought were impossible are are possible. I think many years ago of people who said they couldn't even imagine going to the moon, and yet in 1969, Neil Armstrong took one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. Today, we're even talking about going to Mars, of all places. What an impossibility that seems like. Years ago, in the world of track and field, it seemed impossible to break a four-mile or a a four-minute mile, and yet somebody did it for the first time. And now, if you're going to compete at a national and international level, you have to break a four-minute mile. Uh, For nearly a century, baseball fans thought it was an impossibility that the Cubs would ever win the World Series again. And yet, it happened just a couple of years ago. And every one of these uh, impossible situations, we might say, uh, became possible through the overachievement of a few individuals. We might say that they went beyond the limits of human potential. But what happens when you run out of human potential? What happens uh, when uh, we run out of uh, human resources? Where do we turn when those resources are not enough? How do we turn our impossibilities into possibilities? Well, that brings us back to uh, this story and to our study of the miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, and especially to this one uh, found in John chapter 6. As we return to our study here, remember John's purpose in giving us these miracles is, is stated in chapter 20 of the book. He tells us that he he chooses 
eight of the 37 miracles that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. He chooses these eight to encourage us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Son of God. And that purpose is never more obvious than in this particular story we know as the feeding of the 5,000, or what I like to call the lunch miracle, because this is a, a huge setup to a larger body of teaching that follows in John chapter 6, where Jesus Christ stood up and declared before thousands of people, I am the bread of life. And it's one of seven I am statements that John records Jesus making in the Gospel of John, each of which uh, is, is a time when he declares his deity in a lot of different ways. And in this, this case, he invokes all the imagery of bread from the Old Testament. He says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Prior to that teaching and that declaration, he feeds the 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle of Jesus recorded in all four of the Gospels. Again, there are 37 miracles, 37 miracles recorded in all four Gospels. John records eight of them as sign miracles to encourage us to believe in Jesus. But the one miracle that all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record is the feeding of the 5,000. And that tells us something perhaps about the importance of this miracle, but it also suggests that this is something that really got these guys' attention. As they're writing their individual biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, every one of them, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records uh, this story. Now, the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are kind of like four uh, news reporters at the scene of an accident, and they're writing the same story kind of from a slightly different angle. And so as you harmonize the four gospels, and especially as it relates around this particular story, when you harmonize the gospels, what you get is a sense that, well, what I call a day in the life of Jesus unlike any other's. In one of his earlier books, Max Lucado wrote in uh, a book called The Eye of the Storm, he calls this the second most stressful day in Jesus' life. And let's begin in verse 1 where uh, John says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and uh, a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. If we had time to go into the other three Gospels and read and harmonize the accounts, we would learn that this was a time in Jesus' ministry where momentum was building. The crowds were getting larger and larger and larger. And John tells us that, by and large, the people who were coming to see Jesus and hear him teach and perform all these miracles, they were sign-seekers. He says, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And it reminds me of something that one of my former professors in seminary and a, a friend and mentor of mine, Dr. Charles Riley, Ryrie, said in his book, The Miracles of Our Lord. He says, faith that depends on the props of signs and wonders is never as deep or solid as the direct heart-to-heart -heart relationship that simply takes a person at his word. He goes on to say, shallow faith must have the assurance of the outstretched hand, the audible voice, the physical presence. It craves the assurance which the outward and physical, the sensuous and emotional supply. He says, and in the absence of these, 
It is in the danger of expiring, but faith like this hardly merits the name, though unfortunately it is too common with us all. Yeah, it's common with us all, even in our day and age, people who are saying, I'll believe it when I see it. Show me a sign, Jesus. And they show up at all these kind of miracle, wonder-working events looking for a sign. And Jesus knew that was, a, that was a shallow kind of faith that needed the sign and wonder to prop them up. But the crowds were coming. Uh, the momentum was building. But this was a day unlike any other day Jesus experienced, short of the day that He went to the cross. And it was a stressful day. Because when you harmonize the Gospels, what started the day was news that He received about the death of John the Baptist, His earthly cousin. And I just want you for a moment to go into the humanity of Jesus. Remember, He was, he, he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He was God incarnate, 100% man, 100% God. But in His humanity, He receives the news, the gruesome news of the death of John, who had been beheaded by an evil despot named Herod just to please one of his family members. And they delivered John's head on a platter. And Jesus receives this news. And just like you and me, in His humanity, Everything stops. You know, when you receive the news that a loved one has passed away, uh, you pack up your things at work, you go home. I mean, you, you connect with family and friends. You, you maybe get alone for some time to grieve and to plan and all of that, and this is what Jesus does. And He goes to the mountainside just to have some time alone, just to, to process what has happened and, and to grieve the loss of John. It's about that time that the disciples return from a ministry trip, and they're all excited because they've healed the sick, they've cast out demons, they've proclaimed the gospel, they've seen the power of God at work. And, and you would think that in Jesus' humanity, He would look at the disciples and say, guys, it, now's not the time. John has, John has passed away, and I, I just need some time alone. But He doesn't. He gathers up with His disciples on that mountainside, and He, uh, he rejoices with them, He teaches them, He mentors them, He coaches them, and all that they just experienced. As you harmonize the Gospels, we also discover that threats had been circulating by now about Jesus' life. Uh, one of the Roman leaders wanted to make an appointment with Jesus. Herod did. And everybody knows that Herod is very calculating. He, he didn't want to just see Jesus and have a little, you know, chat and a Sunday afternoon conversation. No, he, he, he was beginning to feel threatened by Jesus' popularity, and, and here the antagonism between Jesus and the Jewish leaders and even the Roman leaders is beginning to gain momentum as well. All of this is coming to bear on this particular day. And Jesus gets in a boat. John says this. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Maybe it was by boat. Maybe it was by land, but he's probably around the northern tip of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he goes to the other side, and the crowds are following him. And he just can't get away for any alone time to pray and to process and to grieve with his heavenly Father. And you would think that he would continue to kind of push the crowds away, but actually, as the crowds come upon him more, he spends hours teaching and healing the sick. I mean, just humanly speaking, draining him to a point of, of exhaustion. And by the end of the day, the disciples have joined him. They're over on this side of the Sea of Galilee. And he, he finishes the day by feeding 5,000 men and their families. Can you imagine that? 
I mean, it starts out to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, given the news of John the Baptist's beheading, and it turns into the most stressful, exhausting day of Jesus' ministry from a human perspective. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Are you a new listener? If so, we'd like you to know that all of Ron's messages are archived at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, take a look at Something Good Radio's 828 Club, a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can stay on the air the whole year through and share the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. Join the 828 Club right from our website or feel free to give us a call at 757-276-1099. Again, that number is 757-276-1099. Are you facing an impossible situation today? Marriage problems, financial struggles, a bad report from the doctor? Find out how to handle these challenges next in the rest of today's message, The Lunch Miracle. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. And when the crowds come, one of the gospel writers indicate that the disciples were just telling Jesus, you know, to to send them away. You know, they're tired, they're hungry now, just send them away. But Mark tells us, no, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's when he has them sit down and, well, the lunch miracle takes place. By the end of that day, Jesus and his disciples faced an impossible situation. What do you do with 5,000 men and their families who are all tired and hungry? And I don't know about you, but when I get tired and hungry, I get grumpy too. So I suspect that some of these people in the crowd were just a little bit grouchy. Some scholars estimate upwards of 10, maybe 15,000 people that are there in a remote part of the uh, northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, out in, outside somewhere. They're hungry. And the disciples just want to send them away. But come on now. You look around, there are no restaurants. There are no food trucks. There's no Sam's Club to go and buy the food in bulk and feed everybody. I mean, there's none of that. And Jesus tells his disciples, no, uh, we're going to take care of these people. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And he tells them to sit down and we're going to have lunch together. The problem is they don't have any resources. They don't have any food. They don't have any money to buy anything, even if they could. And they're facing, humanly speaking, an impossible situation. How do you turn your impossibilities into possibilities? And maybe your impossibility is not, you know, a food supply, but maybe you're, maybe you're in what you think is an impossible marriage. How is this baby going to turn around? Maybe your impossibility looks like a a wayward child or a rebellious teenager. Maybe your impossibility is spelled this, I-N-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y, infertility. And you're saying, this is impossible for us to get pregnant as a married couple. Maybe your impossibility is a medical report or uh, a pink slip at your job and you've been unemployed for a period of time. Or maybe you're facing a financial impossibility. 
and you've exhausted every resource you can possibly exhaust. You are backed into a corner. You're, you're facing a brick wall. You, you don't know where to turn. You're in an, in an impossible situation. You need the power of a miracle-working God or your toast. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, I think this story gives us, gives us some thoughts to apply to our lives today, wherever we might be. And the first thing I want to say is when you're in that impossible situation, consider the testing of your faith. Look at it in verse 5 and 6 of John chapter 6. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat. And John says in verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. When you're facing an impossible situation, do you have enough room in your theology to suggest that God might be testing your faith? Because God is in, he's in the faith business. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here's one impossibility. If you want to please God, but you're not willing to walk by faith, well, that, that's an impossibility. You're not going to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God is in the faith business. He's always trying to increase our faith and strengthen our faith and grow our faith up. And the way He does that is He tests our faith. Now, Jesus was doing a couple of things, many things perhaps in this miracle. It was a precursor to the teaching where he would use this as an illustration to declare, I am the bread of life. But he's also teaching his disciples here. And he says to Philip, you know, Philip's not a real well-known disciple like Peter and, and, and James and John, the sons of thunder and the bombasticness of Peter and all that. He's a quieter disciple, a thoughtful one. And Jesus asked the question to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? They look around, there's no restaurant, there's no food trucks, there's no Sam's Club, there's no little uh, food mart over here, uh, they got nothing. But Jesus, who is masterful in the way he teaches and coaches and mentors his disciples, does so by asking questions. Hey, Philip, where are we going to go buy some food for these people? And John says he did this to test, to test the disciples. Now, uh, think about the Lord who tests us. Think about the uh, auto industry, for example. The auto industry never brings a vehicle to market without putting it through all kinds of tests, safety tests, performance tests, all kinds of tests. They will test that vehicle in ways that the average driver will never experience, off-road, on-road, all those kinds of things. They even build test tracks and run these vehicles. They slam them into walls. They do all kinds of things to test that vehicle to make sure that when it goes to market, it performs well, that all the bugs are worked out of it and so forth. Well, God is in the faith-testing business. If you have any doubts about that, go from John chapter 6 and turn with me to the book of James for just one moment. James chapter 1, and James, the uh, earthly half-brother of Jesus, says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let me paraphrase that. 
Choose joy when you're facing an impossible situation because it may just be a situation where God is intentionally testing your faith. Why? Uh, So that it produces steadfastness. The Greek word there is hupomone. It means to, to hold up under intense pressure. The auto industry doesn't want to bring a a car to market that's going to fail five minutes after you drive it down the road. They test that baby. And God puts our faith to the test. Now, He doesn't tempt us with evil. James goes on. You can read on in verses 13 and following, and you'll find out that, no, the devil is the one who tempts us to do evil. And God cannot be tempted with evil but he does test us. And he says, James does in chapter 1 and verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, who has hupomone under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is one of five crowns mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, These are eternal rewards that I believe will be handed out to believers at the judgment seat of Christ. And one of them is to those who stood up and, 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 and passed the test when your faith was put to the test. So when you're facing an impossible situation, the first thing to consider is, God may be testing my faith. The second thing is to reject a scarcity mentality. Because a lot of times the testing of our faith is a resource problem, right? You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, The Lunch Miracle, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to check out Dr. Ron Jones' discipleship coaching experience, Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps. This is a great way to get back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith and to equip you to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples of others. That starting point, a disciple's first steps. Look for it when you stop by somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed, and Calvary, where He shed His blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. All of us here at Something Good Radio hope you can join us on our trip to the Holy Land. It's a decision you won't regret, a journey you'll never forget. Visit somethinggoodradio.org for more information or to make a reservation today. Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayers and financial support of people like you. For your gift to Something Good Radio today, we'd like to offer you the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. Again, that's all nine messages in Ron's teaching series, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. This content is available for a limited time to our monthly partners or for anyone who sends a gift of any size today. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. 
Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456, or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Here at Something Good Radio, we believe in the power of prayer, and today, we'd like to pray for you. If you have a prayer request today, please visit somethinggoodradio.org and click on the How Can We Pray For You button so our ministry team can join you in prayer. The person in the story that expressed the most faith, other than Jesus, was the little boy who gave up what little he had. I mean, the generosity coming out of this little boy's heart is quite admirable. And he gave everything. And he experienced the principle of give, and it shall be given unto you. And you'll have leftovers pouring over and blessings pouring into the lives of others you never expected. And in the process, your belly's gonna be full as well. God will make sure of that. That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, The Lunch Miracle. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying Happy Mother's Day and thanks for listening.